Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, and thank you so very much for joining me today. On September 18, 1783, President George Washington laid the framework for the construction of the U.S. Capitol building. Seven years later, the building was complete, and by 1866, the dome of the U.S. Capitol was finished. The building had always been a famous landmark here in the United States. The Capitol represents our democratic republic, our laws, and institutions. I myself have been to the Capitol and to the White House. I remember standing inside the Capitol and looking up at the dome while on a tour inside this remarkably historical building. While on that tour, I had to go through metal detectors and take my shoes and belt off. I mean, it is a very thorough process. It has to be so meticulous to ensure that no threats enter or target that building. While there, I also saw Capitol Police and also historical statues. But while the process to ensure that no threat, foreign or domestic, enters that building, while that process is so meticulous, there have been some times in our history where that has failed. At 7 o'clock in the morning on August 24th, um, in 1814, it began as a normal day in Washington, D.C., but there was indication that a threat was on its way to the Washington, D.C., It was the British, and they were coming. President James Madison had been hurried to a private home near the Navy Yard for an emergency war council with top generals and cabinet members. Secretary of War John Armstrong was visibly late and had downplayed the attack on Washington for days. The Washington Post writes, quote, The British had landed five days earlier near the head of a navigable waters on the Patnex River, southeast of Washington. There were about 4,500 of them, hardened fighters, fresh from the Napoleonic Wars. The American forces called out to meet the invaders and defend the capital numbered about 5,500, but were also but were local militia, farmers, and tradesmen with minimal training. The War Council proceeded in desolutary fashion until finally a bulletin arrived reporting that the enemy was most definitely headed straight for Bladensburg, a town just six miles northeast of the capital. End quote. Long story short, the British arrived at the White House by 3 p.m., burning it down. First Lady Dolly Madison was concerned about the portrait of George Washington. Um, she said, quote, save that picture if possible. If not possible, destroy it. Under no circumstances allow it to fall into the hands of the British. End quote. Joel Ackenbach wrote this article at the Washington Post. If you'd like to read it, I'll put it in the description of this episode. But this was just one attack on our capital. There have been many others in recent history. On July 2, 1915, Enrich Munter, a former German professor at Harvard University, placed a package containing three sticks of dynamite in the capital near the Senate reception room. Those explosives soon detonated around midnight. At the time of this explosion, the Senate was on recess and an on-duty Capitol police officer was almost knocked out of his chair during the explosion. The good news is that in this circumstance, no one died or was injured. According to History.com, quote, the German-born man later wrote a letter to a Washington, D.C. newspaper saying that he had planted the explosives to protest U.S. wartime aid to Britain and said he hoped that the detonation would, quote, make enough noise to be heard about the vo- above the voices that clamor for war. End quote. Then on March 1st, 1954, four Puerto Rican Americans committed a terrorist attack in the U.S. Capitol by shooting and wounding five congressmen. The attack was shocking, and their rationale for doing it was because they wanted Puerto Rico to become independent from the United States. Seventeen years later, on the same day, March 1st, in 1971, a bomb exploded in the United States Capitol building. 
This was done by a group who called themselves Weather Underground, and this was in protest of the U.S. bombing and layups. This was reporting from ABC News. At one minute before one o'clock this morning, the switchboard at the Capitol received a phone call. A man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour. At 1.30 in the morning, it did. In a small, unmarked restroom on the ground floor of the Senate side, next to a barber shop and near several small offices, including one committee hearing room, for a report on the first serious damage to the nation's foremost structure since the British burned it in 1814, here is ABC congressional correspondent Bob Clark. There was alarm for a time that other bombs might still be hidden inside the Capitol. Police used dogs specially trained to sniff out explosives in a painstaking search both inside and outside the building. The single bomb set off by a timing device left the men's room a shambles, plumbing demolished, bricks and plaster ripped from walls. Army and FBI experts sifted the debris, seeking a clue to the nature of the explosive. There was heavy damage to the nearby barber shop. Windows were smashed there and 100 feet away in the Senate restaurant, where tables were overturned and a priceless stained glass mosaic destroyed. Damage estimated in the hundreds of thousands of dollars might have been far worse, but for the three-foot-thick walls in the oldest part of the Capitol. As it was, the violent explosion ripped off doors in nearby conference rooms. There was no damage to the Senate chamber itself on the floor above. Daylight revealed more smashed windows and debris. Tourists were barred from the Senate wing all day, but the entire Capitol will be reopened to the public as soon as possible. Everyone entering the Senate wing today had to pass a security check. The Capitol's police chief told how an operator received the bomb threat. Uh, this building will blow up in 30 minutes. Uh, evacuate the building. Uh, this is in protest of the Nixon involvement in Laos. No one died or was wounded in that Capitol explosion, but the damages were estimated to cost around $300,000. Thirteen years later, on November 7, 1983, the explosion of a bomb um, was so great that it tore through the second floor of the Senate wing of the U.S. Capitol. There, these were the headlines um, of newspapers across the country. The Sun-Times reports, quote, Bomb rocks U.S. Capitol. Here's the New York Times, quote, Bomb exploded in the Capitol, wrecked phone booths, end quote. In this terrorist attack on the Capitol, no one was harmed, um, but the damage was estimated to be around $250,000. Um, they said that this was in retaliation for the recent military actions in Grenada and Lebanon. Subsequently, seven people were arrested in connection with this terrorist attack on the Capitol. Then on July 24, 1998, a man entered the Capitol through the staff-only entrance door um, on the east front on, and began shooting. Politico reported on this shooting, writing, quote, Having skirted the, medical de the metal detector, Weston shot Chestnut in the back of the head at point-blank range. He then turned down a corridor and pushed through a door which led to a suite used by Republican Congressman Tom DeLay. The majority whip. Gibson, a plainclothes detective assigned to delayed security detail, was fatally wounded when he exchanged gunfire with Weston. Other officers then subdued the wounded gunmen. Republican Senator Bill Frist, a heart surgeon who had been presiding over the Senate floor, 
resuscitated the gunman and um, the gunman and accompanied and accompanied him to a DC general hospital. The House and Senate passed a concurrent resolution authorizing a memorial service to be held for the officers in the Capitol Rotunda. They were the first police officers, and Chestnut was the first African American to be honored and to lie in state. End quote. So we know that this has happened before. In our history, people have attacked the United States Capitol. People have invaded the United States Capitol and shot and wounded members of Congress and bombed and set it on fire and shot and killed Capitol Police officers. And as I said, there have been many other attacks as well. But in terms of the chronology here, we can now add another date to that list. On January 6, 2021, this will be a date that will now forever live in infamy because of what happened and who caused it. Let's just start here with the outset here because I feel it's important to keep up with the timeline of how this all transpired. And I want to give credit to these journalists here at the Washington Post upon which I'm extrapolating this information from. Karen Dimmergeon, Carol Lenning, Paul Kane, and Aaron Davis. These are the reporters at the Washington Post who have put this timeline together. Okay. At 8.17 in the morning, President Trump tweeted lies about the 2020 presidential election and saying that somehow Mike Pence can overturn it. Now, it is worth noting here that at this point, multiple news reports confirmed that President Trump was pressuring Mike Pence to overturn the results of the election. Based on the U.S. Constitution, Mike Pence does not have that power. By 11 a.m., Trump supporters began crowding near the White House, holding signs and flags. One hour later, at 12 p.m., Trump, uh, President Trump began ranting in his speech, making false and deceptive claims about the 2020 presidential election, indicating that it was stolen and he would never concede. Again, that is mendacious and apocryphal, but this is what he was telling his supporters um, at the time that they were gathered, and they listened to his every word. In that same hour, Trump supporters armed with guns and riot shields gathered in front of the Arkansas Capitol in Little Rock. Others protested peacefully at the Idaho State Capitol in Boise. But back in D.C., this is what was going on. At 12.30 p.m., some of the president's supporters gathered at the Capitol. By 1 p.m., as senators and the vice president were walking to the U.S. House of Representatives in the Capitol, the president's supporters had began pushing barricades on the west side of the Capitol. Then at 1.05 p.m., Congress met in a joint session to confirm Joe Biden as the winner of the election. Right before they started, Vice President Mike Pence released a letter indicating that he would not overturn the results of the election. In fact, he said, you know, I have no power to do this. Quote, my oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States constrains me from claiming unilateral authority. End quote. That is just part of what he wrote in that letter. But while that was happening on Capitol Hill, the president was telling his supporters this. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. 
Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, said at that rally, fight for Trump. Um, the president said, show strength and be strong. And Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, said trial by combat. I mean, all of these statements were made at this rally, and then after that, this is what happened. At 1.12 p.m., Republican Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona and Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas both objected to the certification of Arizona's electoral college votes. Therefore, the joint session of Congress subsequently um, essentially separated, and each member went to their chamber for a two-hour debate. At 1.30 p.m., hundreds of people rallied in, in the front of the Michigan State Capitol, armed and essentially had previously done this back in April, on April 30th, when they were against coronavirus restrictions. At the same time, more Trump supporters began marching down the streets and heading to the Capitol. And it is at this time that Trump supporters broke through barricades, running up to the steps of the Capitol. And you can see many police officers retreating at that point in videos. Five minutes later, at 1.35 p.m., Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was giving a speech on how challenging the Electoral College votes was permanently would permanently fracture our democratic republic. He was right. He also indicated that there can be no double standard here, and that Democrats have done this as well. That is accurate as a term of historical research. Democrats have done this in the past, but what happened on Wednesday was a completely different circumstance. I mean, Chris Krebs, the former director of CISA, said that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history. Multiple judges, including Trump-appointed judges, threw out those lawsuits by Trump campaign because they presented no evidence. Even the U.S. Supreme Court did the same thing. And yet multiple Republicans continued pushing this lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen and somehow Trump won by landslide and secretly won hundreds of thousands of votes. That did not happen. Shortly after, at 1.30 p.m., pipe bombs were discovered at the Republican National Committee headquarters and the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. Both buildings were instantly evacuated to avoid death or injuries. No one was dead. Those bombs never exploded. But the FBI is now looking for the person at large who essentially did this. At 2.15 p.m., the U.S. Capitol had been breached. Windows were broken People were climbing inside and opening doors for others to follow. Both houses then immediately adjourned as these insurrectionists were roaming around the Capitol building. You can see in pictures members of Congress taking shelter in the gallery as Capitol Police were drawing their guns to these domestic terrorists. Then at 2.24 p.m., Trump tweets about Mike Pence not overturning the election, not having the courage to do so, and how it was still fraudulent. At this point, the violence at the Capitol is still ongoing. The scene is horrifying. And at 2.38 p.m., the president finally urges his supporters to stay calm. Protesters then gather at the Louisiana Capitol, uh, Florida Capitol, and also the Ohio State House. George's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who had refused to overturn the state's election, evacuated his with his staff as well in that building in Georgia. The Capitol buildings in Utah and New Mexico also began evacuating. The Trump supporters in Los Angeles began clashing with police and others um, essentially gathered in Austin, Texas, Denver, Colorado, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Denver city offices and the Texas State Capitol building both closed early to avoid um, the, these crowds that were gathering as a result. 
At 4.05 p.m., President-elect Joe Biden delivered a speech urging calm and that Trump, quote, demand an end to this siege, end quote. At 4.17 p.m., after reportedly enjoying this violence, the president finally tweeted a video telling his supporters, yeah, it's a good idea. You should probably go home now and remember that the election was stolen. He also said, quote, you're very special and we love you. Of course, if this were any other president, that would not be the response. Uh, but this is this is Donald Trump, so that was the response. One minute later, Maryland and Virginia sent in their National Guard and state troopers to assist the Capitol Police. Trump supporters then gathered outside the Arizona State Capitol, demanding that the governor who certified those states' results for Biden come outside. In Washington State, Trump supporters breached the governor's mansion, storming on his front lawn, shouting, Stop the steal, and on his front lawn, saying that near his front door as well. To make this horrific story short, 69 people were arrested. Only 69. And after it all, this is what the president decided to say on Twitter, to send a very loud message. Quote, These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who had been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace and remember this day forever. End quote. At which point, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube began taking down some of the president's previous statements. Then Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram locked his accounts. After that, Facebook and Instagram said that they were shutting down his accounts indefinitely. Then on Friday, Twitter shut down his account permanently, saying that his statements were continuing to incite violence. On Wednesday, January 6, 2021, Donald J. Trump incited violence at his rally and on social media platforms. The D.C. attorney said that Trump, Giuliani, and Donald Trump Jr. may be charged over inciting violence at the Capitol on Wednesday when they made those remarks at that rally. Ultimately, Congress did reconvene and at 3 a.m. in the morning um, certified Joe Biden as the winner of the election. This, of course, was after Republican Senator Josh Hawley and members of 147 members of the House decided still to object just a little violence. We're still going to object. There is now a picture circulating of Josh Hawley holding his fist up in the air at the Trump crowd of in front of the Capitol right before they stormed it. On Friday, we began receiving multiple news reports of articles of impeachment drafted by members of Congress. Um, this is one of them calling on Trump to be impeached for incitement of, um, of insurrection. It reads, quote, The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors in his conduct of the office of the office of president of the United States and in violation of his constitutional oath faithfully to execute the office of the president of the United States and to the best of his ability preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States and in violation of his constitutional duty to take 
take care of the laws that be faithfully executed, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by willfully inciting violence against the government of the United States. In that, on January 6, 2021, pursuant to the 12th Amendment of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the House of Representatives, and the Senate meet at the United States met at the United States Capitol for a joint session of Congress to count the votes of the Electoral College. Shortly before the joint session um, essentially commenced, President Trump addressed a crowd of his political supporters nearby. There, he reiterated false claims that we won this election and we won it by a landslide. He also willfully made statements that encouraged and foreseeably resulted in an imminent and imminent lawless actions at the Capitol. Incited by President Trump, a mob lawfully breached the Capitol, injured law enforcement personnel, menaced members of Congress and the vice president, interfered with the joint session's solemn constitutional duty to certify the election results, and engaged in violent, deadly, destructive, and seditious acts. President Trump's conduct on January 6, 2021 was consistent with his prior efforts to subvert and obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. Those prior efforts include, but are not limited to, a phone call on January 2, 2021, in which President Trump urged Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find enough votes to overturn the Georgia presidential election results and threatened Mr. Raffensperger if he failed to do so. If all of this, in all of this, President Trump gravely endangered the security of the United States and its institutions of government. He threatened the integrity of the democratic system, interfered with the peaceful transition of power, and imperiled a coordinate branch of government. He thereby betrayed his trust as president. He thereby has betrayed his trust as president to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. Wherefore, President Trump, by such conduct, has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office, and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law. President Trump thus warrants impeachment and trial, removal from office, and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. End quote. I will say that just um, while I have been talking, we have received some breaking news. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is moving forward with impeachment, saying, quote, In protecting our Constitution and our democracy, we will act with urgency because this president remains, excuse me, because this president represents an imminent threat to both. End quote. According to NBC News, quote, in a letter to Democrats, she said House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer will try to introduce a resolution on Monday calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and declare that Trump is incapable of executing the duties of his office, end quote. At the Capitol on Wednesday, there was a conspicuous stark contrast. Uh, between how these white domestic terrorists were treated versus how Black Lives Matter protesters were treated this summer while protesting police brutality. While these people were literally trying to overthrow the government and overturn the results of, a 2020, of the 2020 presidential election. They showed their faces at the Capitol because they were unafraid. White supremacy is a powerful thing. If those people were black people, as Joy Reid said on MSNBC, quote, they'd be shackled, arrested, or dead, end quote. 
it is a double standard here in the United States. It also indicates the very, very dark truth. Multiple members of Congress now believe that this was an inside job and some Capitol Police officers were complacent in this. It is also worth noting that others fought back and were wounded. Five people died, including a Capitol Police officer who was beaten to death by these domestic terrorists. A procession was held today for him as he was sent to the funeral home. His remains were. Many of these domestic terrorists have been arrested and will undoubtedly be prosecuted. While they stormed the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, most of them were chanting this. I will tell you, if you have any kids nearby, this is not something that you are going to want them to hear. They were chanting, quote, hang Mike Pence, end quote, which is the vice president of the United States. We knew this was going to happen. I've been talking on this show for a while about this. I have been reporting um, that this would lead to a coup. And that's what happened on Wednesday, a failed but attempted coup. This is what these domestic terrorists had been planning online. Quote, bring the wood, build the gallows outside Congress, pull them out and string them up. America is not for sale and corrupt politicians are not tolerated. End quote. And they are already threatening to come back on January 17th and 19th, even on the day of the inauguration, saying, quote, we will come in numbers that no standing army or police agency can match. End quote. So these threats are continuing on these social media channels. These lies have undermined our democratic republic and will leave a perpetual scar. President Donald Trump incited violence while he was running for president in 2016 at his rallies and refused to condemn the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. And other white supremacist attacks as well during his over the course of his presidency, telling the Proud Boys at the 2020 presidential debate in October last year to stand back and stand by. This has been a terrible week. There are 10 days to the presidential inauguration and impeachment proceedings have already begun in the House of Representatives. My apologies, they will begin tomorrow. Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that those articles, when they get to him, he'll begin, on, he'll begin the trial on January 19th, one day before the inauguration. If he does that, the Senate can still vote on it after Trump is out of office. If some senators decided that they don't want to show up for that vote, then only two-thirds of the senators present can move on impeachment. Now, it wouldn't remove him from office because at that point he would already be gone, but it would bar him from holding public office ever again. So that is the ramification of being impeached. Trump will become the first president in American history, or maybe become the first president in American history to be impeached twice, but we will ultimately see what the Senate does. The two Democratic Senate candidates in Georgia won the runoffs and will officially be sworn in on January 20th, along with Chuck Schumer, who will become the Senate Majority Leader when the Democrats take control of the Senate. What happened at the Capitol on Wednesday was diametrically repulsive. It was dangerous and a threat to our nation. 
As these domestic terrorists stormed the U.S. Capitol, world leaders and former U.S. presidents began speaking publicly about this, vehemently condemning the violence, expressing great concern. And as you can imagine, of course, our foreign adversaries were enjoying this. This could have been far, far worse. And we need to recognize that this threat is not over. As long as Donald Trump remains in office as President of the United States, or any elected office, we can only imagine what will happen next. Even after he is out of office, these people still remain a national security threat, because they might orchestrate political assassinations or plan something else dangerous. We as a nation need to be on alert, the president needs to be removed from office now, and this attack on our democratic republic and our nation is not over. The people who committed these domestic terrorist attacks need to be held accountable and arrested and prosecuted. If they are not, that sends a dangerous message to those around the world and to them that I can do this whenever, wherever, and however I want. And I can continue doing it because I will never be caught. Eyes open, heads up, stay focused. We'll be right back. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, when neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. On August 23rd, 2020, a 29-year-old man, 20-year-old, 29-year-old black man, Jacob Blake, was walking to his car. Um, he was walking to his car. He was essentially turning away from the police. Um, and as he was turning away from the police, one of the police officers yanked his shirt um, and held his shirt and shot him in the back seven times um, while the front door was open, while the, while the driver's door was open. Reportedly, his kids were in the SUV as they witnessed this horrific scene of their father being shot in the back. He was seriously wounded and was taken to the hospital immediately. Reportedly, he was left paralyzed after this white police officer shot him in the back seven times. That then led to multiple demonstrations across Kenosha, Wisconsin, as multiple people were protesting the injustice and what had just transpired of the racial inequality of this situation. People were enraged and upset about this. And then today, uh, earlier this week, actually, we got news reports that there would be no charges against the officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who essentially indefinitely paralyzed Mr. Blake. This was the reaction of Mr. Blake's family. Today, the news that we have heard from the Kenosha Police Department, I'm sorry, the Kenosha District Attorney's Office is very disturbing. Um, this, we are immensely disappointed with that decision. We believe that there was more than sufficient evidence to find probable cause to charge Officer Shesky. Um, we believe that there were certain uh, standard 
operating procedures that Officer Seski should have followed that were not followed. There was no de-escalation. Um, and we believe that the shooting an individual seven times while walking away from the officer is nothing less than intentional. We believe that all the elements of attempted homicide were met and that we believe that the city and the community is being deprived of their constitutional right to be able to be the trier of fact. And we're, we're just immensely disappointed uh, with that decision today. We believe that the office, the district attorney's office somehow believes that as we roll into 2021, that all of a sudden we're the, the country is legally blind or something. We think that the 20 second video is very clear. We don't need a two hour explanation for what our eyes can see. So we're, we're immensely disappointed with that. It takes 20 seconds to watch that video to find probable cause, and it took them over four months to find a reason to ignore it. We're not happy. We will exercise every remedy that is available. We think that is, is just, uh, it is very discouraging for all the protesters and all the individuals who gathered peacefully uh, to urge change. And it just shows that we have a lot of work to do. We won't stop, and it doesn't stop here. And I think in 2021, it shows one very important thing, and that is that there's three, three justice systems in America. There's one for black and brown people, one for police officers, and one for the rest of America. And we won't stop until there is actually truly one nation under God with justice and liberty for us all. We won't stop until we get there. Once again, that was the family of Jacob Blake reacting to no charges being filed against the officer who shot Jacob Blake in the back seven times. Once again, this just very disheartening news um, through this very disheartening week. We'll be right back. Hey, Google. More than 100 billion words are translated every day. Lift your hand. Thank you very much for your help. Words about food. Words about friendship, about sport, about belief, about fear. Oh, oh my God. Words that can hurt and sometimes divide. But every day, the most translated words in the world are how are you? Thank you. And I love you. Welcome back. The death of two female soldiers are now under investigation. Reportedly, the death of these two female soldiers in Texas are now under investigation by the U.S. Criminal Investigation um, Division in the United States Military. Excuse me, by the Army Criminal Investigation Division. According to CBS News, quote, investigations are underway across Texas after two female soldiers were found dead on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. CBS Dallas Fort Worth reports Private First Class Asia M. Graham was first found unresponsive in her barracks on December 31st and was later pronounced dead by emergency services personnel on the Fort Bliss Army Post. <clears throat> 
While the circumstances surrounding Graham's death are under investigation, agents with U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command said they do not said they do not suspect foul play in the manner of the death is pending autopsy results. Graham was 19 years old and she was assigned to the 1st Armored Division and was a human resource specialist. The teenager joined the Army in 2019 and Fort Bliss was her first duty station. Graham had filed an initial report of sexual assault on June 1st, 2020. A representative from Fort Bliss today said Tuesday. The representative said she alleged that a fellow private assaulted her in December 2019. Following an investigation, charges were brought against the alleged offender on October 22nd, on October 22nd, in military court, the representative said. The charges, which are pending adjudication, include one specification of sexual assault pertaining to Private First Class Graham. Hours after Graham was found dead, an army sergeant was found dead in her vehicle on Texas inter- on a Texas interstate on New Year's Day. Drill Sergeant Jessica Mitchell was found dead around 2 a.m. with multiple gunshots to the driver's side door and window of her car along Interstate 10 in San Antonio, Texas. Mitchell had been shot several times. She was taken to a nearby hospital but died later from her injuries. Police found Mitchell after receiving reports about a stranded vehicle in the middle of the highway. Officials said Joint Base San Antonio Fort Sam Houston said in a statement that Mitchell's death is being investigated by the Army Criminal Investigation Division. The San Antonio Police Department is assisting with the investigation. At the time of her death, Mitchell, 30 years old, was on holiday leave from her assignment as a, deta- as a dental specialist. She leaves behind her 10-year-old son. Last month, Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy announced 14 firing suspensions in, among commanders and lower-level res- leaders as a result of an investigation into a pattern of sexual assault, harassment, suicides, and murder at the Fort Hood Army Post in Killen, Texas. The investigation um, followed the death of Specialist Vanessa Guillen, who was killed um, at Fort Hood. End quote. Once again, this is reporting from CBS News about the death of these two army soldiers who of these two female army soldiers, which are now under investigation as we are continuing to follow these reports. I mean, I've been reporting on this podcast for a while about Fort Bliss, also about Fort um, Fort Hood and the death of Specialist Vanessa Gann. Uh, that is what started um my reporting on this but once again just this remarkable news about the death of these two female soldiers which is now under investigation by the army criminal investigation division we'll keep you updated on this story stay with us oh i wanted to ask you uh, liz and i gonna do some work around the house do you know any good contractors i might that's great can you check their qualifications make sure they have great reviews and research the average price for the job oh and book them on wednesday Actually, make it Friday. It went in the water. You can't expect your neighbors to do everything HomeAdvisor can. So for a better way to get home projects done right, just ask HomeAdvisor. As I said earlier in the show, at the top of the show, 
Um, those two Senate candidates in Georgia, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, have won their seats uh, to become U.S. senators. They will be sworn in when the Democrats take the Senate majority on January 20th when Joe Biden is sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. So that is when that will all transpire. Uh, Democrats hopeful get hope to get lots of things done, but since it is a 50-50 majority and there is going to be a tiebreaker, which will be Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, they are still going to have to count on some bipartisan support for most of the legislation that has passed under the Biden administration. But Speaker Nancy Pelosi today, in an interview with 60 Minutes, she seemed very optimistic about what may come next in the future. The election in Georgia, it's been so overshadowed by what happened at the Capitol. Well, there's a reason for that. The president is a master of diversion. He is, doesn't care. He's reckless. Any diversion will do. But whatever the reason, People aren't aware of how, let's say, seismic it is that the two Democrats won because now the Democrats control all the branches That's of right. government. So what changes? What can the Democrats get done because Chuck Schumer will be the majority leader that you otherwise would not have gotten done with uh, Mitch McConnell? Well, what we haven't gotten done with Mitch McConnell, and uh, that is... Uh, an array of issues that relate to uh, uh, lowering health care costs for the American people by lowering the cost of prescription drugs, building the infrastructure of America, moving America forward, building back better. Uh, we have an array of issues that uh, of legislation that have been sitting over on Mitch McConnell's desk that passed in a bipartisan way in the House, but that he would not bring up. So the power of bringing up legislation makes a big difference. Uh, the White House being the bully pulpit to show the American people what this means in their lives makes a very big difference. Let's talk about some of the issues. Infrastructure yeah. already has a lot of bipartisan support Always. for Always. building bridges and creating Always. jobs Always. and all of that. Always. I heard someone say that the Republicans will never agree to build things, build structures, infrastructure that the Democrats will not give that to a Democratic president? Well, I don't I have any idea who that someone is, but the fact is the American people know that they need jobs. Uh, they also know that in their communities they need infrastructure, whether it's infrastructure for broadband in rural or inner cities, whether it's water projects and to make the water safe that they drink, whether it's uh, bridges, roads, mass transit, and the rest. Uh, the American people know. And the advantage of having the bully pulpit is the president can convey to the American people what is at stake in the, in the uh, votes that we will have. I, we've always worked in a bipartisan way on um, infrastructure, except they- But it didn't pass. They obstructed what um, President Obama wanted to do, so we had a smaller bill than we would have liked, but nonetheless, we had a bill. We always wanted to work with President Trump on infrastructure. My first conversations with him after his election were always about infrastructure. It was hardly ever a conversation that infrastructure didn't come up. The only time he walked away when it was time to pay for it, and he stormed out. There are several important things that can be passed now in the Senate without any Republican votes. Spending and taxes. Yeah. They can go just on an up and down straight partisan vote. Well, what, what's important to note about, uh, about Georgia 
and that in winning those two seats, we can engage in something called reconciliation. Reconciliation is a, a process by which we define what we are about. It has to relate to the budget, it has to be spending or taxation, whatever, and that only requires 51 votes. So winning two votes in Georgia was like winning 10 votes in Georgia from the standpoint of reconciliation. We passed the Affordable Care Act under reconciliation. We passed other legislation under reconciliation. So this is huge. Huge. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. If you'd like to see that full interview with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, I'll make sure to link it in the description of this episode. Thank you so very much for being with me this weekend here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show this Sunday. Um, I told you that I did plan on releasing two episodes today, but that is not going to happen. Um, the other epi- the other news reports that I had scheduled for today will be posted um essentially presumably later in the week if not then they will be posted um on saturday next saturday and sunday's episodes but thank you again for listening to this episode of the jeremiah patterson show have a great day stay safe remember to stay positive and inspired wear your mask and i'll see you next weekend